Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. From out of the wilderness comes a fiery messenger with a proclamation that's as relevant today as it ever has been. And it's a familiar one. Prepare the way of the Lord. Well, continuing our Advent and Christmas sermon series that we're calling Proclamations, here's today's message, which is based on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and the third chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. And this message begins with the memory of a fairly non-traditional Christmas event in the church where I grew up. Well, friends, today's Christmas festival that we're having here at East Church has actually brought forth a lot of nostalgia for me. It has brought back memories of a lot of Christmas fairs over the years and a lot of different churches. And in particular, it has brought back memories of the church where I grew up, up in northern Maine, the first congregational church UCC in East Millinocket. And I remember that church so very fondly, but particularly during this time of year when there were traditionally several significant events all leading up to a beautiful candlelight service on Christmas Eve. It was very formational for me. One event, however, in that church was a tad less traditional. But as I have come to realize over the years, it has turned out to be very, very important indeed. You see, friends, for a few years back in the 60s and 70s, our little congregational church hosted a Hanukkah party. That's right. You see, as I was led to understand it, there was pretty much only one Jewish family in our little town our little white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and French-Canadian and Italian Roman Catholic town. (laughs) And the nearest synagogue was nearly 60 miles away down in Bangor. But the Benars, this family in our town, did not take this to be any kind of a hardship or handicap. And in fact reached out to our pastor to see if it might be possible to share some of their holiday traditions with the kids of our church and for the community as a whole. And it was great. It was so much fun. We kids learned to spin the dreidel. We ate traditional foods. We sang songs in Hebrew, which turned out to be quite the foreshadowing for my seminary education. We lit candles on the menorah, and we heard that wonderful story of how a single day's worth of oil kept the candles burning for eight days. It was educational, to say the least, and in a time and a place where such things were not necessarily all that commonplace, it was a true interfaith event. Indeed, we discovered in those little gatherings that we had much more in common with the Benars and with others of the Jewish faith than we ever realized. But I have to tell you, friends, that even as a kid, for me, this little Hanukkah party we had at the Congregational Church served as a wonderful reminder that the Old Testament 
is as important to our Christian faith as is the new, truly. And that our story as Christians is filled to overflowing with the stories and lessons that are taught to us in the history and faith of God's people, Israel. Ours, truly, friends, is what historians and theologians refer to as a Judeo-Christian faith. And that's important for us to understand because it's both of these faith traditions that make us who we are as the Church of Jesus Christ. Even Christmas, it's impossible for you and I to come to Christmas to celebrate the birth of the Christ child, much less to begin to understand who that child is or of the, rep- of the redemption that he brings without us first journeying through the Old Testament story of, of God's long relationship with Israel, beginning with Abraham through Moses and the prophets, all of it. I mean, who, how can we sing O come, O come, Emmanuel, without knowing something of how long the people had literally yearned for that Messiah to come? How can we be looking for signs of the long-expected Jesus, the one who was born to set his people free, without first ourselves putting ourselves in the place of exile where God's people Israel found themselves for generation upon generation, hundreds of years? I mean, how can we really know the hope of this sacred season before we learn about the meaning of hopelessness? How are we to embrace true joy without having experienced untold sorrow? How can we possibly understand, friends, the light that comes into the world without knowing something about those people who walked in deep darkness? This time of year, we say a great deal about what's coming. That's the meaning of Advent, coming. But understand me now, friends, when I say to you that Advent is as much about remembering the past as it is looking to the future. And Christmas, dear friends, Christmas is as much about the prophecies made as it is the promises that are fulfilled. When we hear those words of proclamation from the prophet Isaiah, that proclamation of a voice that cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Words spoken originally to those who were mired in seemingly hopeless places of exile. There remains an obligation an obligation on the part of all of us here who are waiting on that fulfillment to not only reshape the world for Messiah's promised coming, but also to reshape ourselves for that coming. Which brings us to John the Baptist. Now, It's important for us to point out here that every year about this time on the second Sunday of Advent, the Sundays just before Christmas, that we encounter, however briefly, 
John the Baptist, the fiery prophet of old who appeared in the wilderness of Judea, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This, at just about the time the adult Jesus was beginning his public ministry. So for that reason alone, you got to wonder what, if anything, John has to do with Christmas at all. I mean, let's be honest here. Here was a man who subsisted on a diet of dead insects and wild honey. Here's a man whose fashion statement consisted of the look and likely the smell of camel hair. And moreover, his words were not warm and friendly. In fact, they were painfully blunt. Odds are you are never going to see you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. You're never going to see that on a Hallmark card, friends. <laughs> Much less in one of those Hallmark movies, you know. I can see the title, though, Brood of Vipers for Christmas. <laughs> and if we're being honest... Frankly, so much of John's message pretty much seems to amount to this. You better turn or else you're going to burn. As I said before, there's nothing particularly warm and fuzzy about John the Baptist. In fact, Melissa Bain Sevier compares him, I love this quote, to quote, the odd uncle you tolerate and maybe even genuinely enjoy at your family holiday dinner but you don't want him around all the time. <laughs> but having said all that, here's the thing. Whereas only two of the four Gospels, Luke and Matthew, tell the story of Jesus' birth, all four Gospels have John the Baptist. And he's always in the same place, always wearing the same clothes, he's always given the same message. So it would seem, friends, that when it comes to the gospel story, if you want to get to Jesus, first, you must pass by John. And the question is, why is that anyway? Well, I think it comes down to what we've been talking about here. This connection between the New Testament good news of Christ and his kingdom, and on the other hand, the, the Old Testament promises of his coming. To begin with, our text for this morning, as with the other Gospels, makes it very clear that John was the one of whom Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So yes, there is this connection to the promise of Emmanuel's coming. And, and by the way, that's beyond the fact that according to Luke, John was the son of Zechariah and Mary's relative, Elizabeth, which actually makes Jesus and John cousins. But even more than this, John the Baptist ends up being the last of a long line of Old Testament-style prophets. Even though, writes UCC pastor and author Shanthea Monroe, that he wouldn't have referred to himself that way. But, she writes, 
He's the embodiment of the whole tradition. He's dressed like Elijah. He sounds like Isaiah. And he's standing in the water that marked the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. John, you see, is the bridge between the old promises and the good news that Jesus has come and the kingdom has drawn near. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. Everything that we've all heard about and read about and yearned for as God's people is now coming to pass in Jesus. And, says John, because of that, there's no more time to be wasted. The time is now to prepare the way of the Lord. And by preparing the way, what John is talking about is that it's time to repent. And make no mistake, that's a pretty radical message. We postmodern believers tend to water down this idea of repentance. We tend to just say, well, to repent means you're sorry, really sorry. But here is what we need to know about repentance. In the original Greek, the word that is used is metanoia. And what metanoia means is changing one's mind completely. Or uh, one translation is that it's about turning oneself around 180 degrees from where we were headed before. I think we could add to this our modern parlance that repentance is what we might refer to as a complete reset of our lives and living. Actually, however, the most appropriate meaning goes back to the Old Testament. Where, writes Shannon Kirshner, to repent means to return from exile to the place of God's presence. To go from a separation from God to reconciliation with the one who made us and who loves us beyond our comprehension. Repentance, you see, turns out to be an essential part of our Christian journey. It's actually, if you want to know the truth, it's part of getting ready for Christmas because it is getting ready for Christ and his forgiveness. What's interesting, you know, is that as Isaiah made this proclamation, prepare the way of the Lord, it would have been heard by the people of Israel as a pretty familiar word of action. It was not uncommon, you see, to prepare for the coming of royalty by preparing the way. That is, by repairing the road that led into the village and by smoothing out the rough places so that the visiting king would have safe, smooth, and easy passage. It was hard work to prepare the way, to be sure. But it was ever and always work that was meant to be done gladly. It was work that was meant to be done and was done in joyous anticipation because one wanted to be ready for the coming of the king. And how much more so did they want to be prepared for the coming of the Lord? 
Well, as we've said, John's verbiage about this comes off a little less joyously, to say the least. And no doubt it was received a whole lot less gladly. Did you happen to notice, by the way, that among those who came to hear what John was saying were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? (laughs) They most certainly were unaccustomed to being referred as vipers. They did not want to be thought of, the religious uprights to be thought of as merely brush that was to be tossed away and burned in the fire. And so when they went to listen to John, they had heard that crowds were rushing to him and they had to check it out. And when they heard him, they just probably dismissed it as prophetic rabble-rousing. But ultimately, that message had everything to do with preparing the way for the Lord's coming. Bradley Schmeling, who is a Lutheran pastor out of Minnesota, said it very well, I think. He said that John the Baptist points to the gap between our rhetoric and our behavior. He's the voice of the law. He shows us our sin and he calls us to bear fruit worthy of repentance so that we can be ready for the one who is coming soon and very soon. The one who will baptize the faithful with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Which is interesting because we already know, don't we, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't ready for Jesus. Not at all. But the question today is, it it, it always is, are we ready? Can it be said of you and of me, that we're on the journey from Old Testament prophecy to New Testament redemption? And have we in our travels, wherever those travels have taken us, prepared the way of the Lord? My father, as I'm sure I have shared with you before, was a school teacher, high school teacher, math and science, for over 35 years. And in that time in our small town, he came to know a whole lot of young people whose lives took them on very pathways. Some of those pathways were very good. Others were more difficult. This is a story I haven't really thought about in years, but it came back to me this week, and I wanted to share it with you. One night, a few years before my dad passed away, there was a knock on my parents' door, and it turned out to be one of my father's former students, a man who had been out of high school for years. In fact, so many years ago that truthfully dad said that he struggled to even remember who this man was. But ultimately, you see, that didn't really matter. For you see, this man had come to make a confession to admit to a mistake he had made all those years before. See, apparently as a youth, he had stolen some chemicals from the science lab at the school. (laughs) Probably it was to make a stink bomb or some such thing. Who knows? But the point is, he got away with it. He was never caught. But as it turned out, in all those years that followed, this man lived with the guilt and the shame of that transgression. 
Well, now this man had found in his life a very deep faith, a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he explained that night to my father, in that moment of salvation, there was true repentance. And he felt compelled to make that redemption complete by making amends for the wrongs that he had been a part of. And part of that was confessing and trying to pay for those chemicals he'd stolen all those years ago from the high school chem lab. It was one of the hardest things he'd ever done to lay himself bare like that before someone that he'd known, someone he'd respected so many years before. But you know, as I think back on it now, it was in fact the end of a journey that was begun not merely when he was a teenager, but in truth began long before he was born. It was a journey that was a microcosm, of you, if you will, of all of our relationships with God. A relationship mired in sin and separation, hopelessness and darkness, which now was coming to a joyful, lit end in the company of the promised Prince of Peace. Now, I have no idea at all if this happened at Christmas time, but I can tell you two things. First of all, when that man left my parents' house that night, his heart was healed, and it was filled with love, hope, and a wide-open future. And second, he'd gotten to that place first by having prepared the way for the Lord. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's the proclamation. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. So says Isaiah. So says John. And so, beloved, even now at this very moment speaks the Holy Spirit into each of our hearts. My prayer for you and for me in this Advent season, my prayer for you and me in this life we live is that as our hearts turn back towards the God, we'll be ready for Jesus to come. Thanks be to God in Jesus our Emmanuel. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Prepare the Way of the Lord, part of our current Advent and Christmas sermon series that we've been calling Proclamations. It was recorded during our December the 5th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. By the way, all through this holiday season, we would love to invite you to our live in-person services of worship. They happen every Sunday morning at the church at 10 o'clock on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. Or else you can join us live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. However it happens for you, we would love it if you could share a part of this blessed season with us. 
And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon. Thank you.